Nice Games Club is on break for the next few weeks, so your nice host can take time to wrap up work on Widget Satchel, coming to PC, Xbox One, PS4, and Nintendo Switch in 2019. In the meantime, we picked out a few of our favorite episodes from our first two years in the clubhouse. This is episode 88, The Gaming Press, with Ben Hansen and Holly Harrison. Uh, what I love about this episode, it's the only interview episode I think we're going to be publishing during the break. Um, and it was cool because Ben Hansen, he is a, a, a video producer at Game Informer, and uh, which uh, um, is based here in Minneapolis. And as soon as we started the show, he said, hey, can I be on your thing? And it was like this 18-month process to finally get him on the show. We hear the whole story in the episode, and it really is about how the, how the show started and how far it's gone. And that's the reason I picked it. But also, the episode itself is really interesting. Bunch of great stories from Ben. And we have a guest host, Holly Harrison, who is our very favorite. Uh, and you'll hear a lot from her as well. So be nice and have a listen. Welcome, Ben. Hooray! I'm so sorry. It's been a long, long, long time coming. I feel like a real jerk about it. Yeah, Yeah, so the background on this is when we started this show at the end of 2016, we put out a tweet saying, hey, we're doing this podcast. And like five of our friends retweeted it. And and then we got a reply from you immediately that said, hey, can I be on your podcast? (laughs) This is in 2016? It was 18 months ago. Oh my God, that's embarrassing. But here's the thing is, and we've talked about it a couple times because we've been trying to like nail you down over. We've been in contact since. Right. It's not you into the wilderness or anything. And but we've talked about how you saying that right when we got started was like a big deal to us. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I don't I don't think you meant it as a big deal. But like we felt like, oh, OK, like we're someone not, actually like someone's taking us seriously. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Somehow it came across my feed. And it's like, OK, <laughs> podcast, games, Minnesota. I like all those. Things. Yeah. yeah. Actually, <laughs> all those. yeah. <laughs> So, like, you know, uh, we were never, it never bothered us that we could never figure out a time for you. Okay. Well, here's the main problem, and this is where I'm too selfish. Yeah. You guys were recording on Survivor Nights. I know the show <laughs> is, like, 18 years old, and it's hokey, and it's on CBS, but I just love that show, and yeah. I can't peel myself away from, like, a big group gathering, good group watching of Survivor. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Are there That's Survivor so understandable. Themed, like, do, you don't want, do you want me to like, edit that out of thing? the show or anything? <laughs> it's so embarrassing, yeah. Survivor themed treats? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for the finale uh, last year, or last season. And we had, oh, it was like, you know, a bunch of, you got the rice. Uh, oh, then we had like, I think we had like bugs. steak uh, shish kebabs because that was a big plot line in one of the seasons. Okay. It's very stupid. Um, so we tried as much as possible. Oh, a coconut themed pie, of course, you know. Yeah. We would have, um, me and Steven and a couple friends would get together and watch Terrace House. Have you seen that? Terrace House? No. Oh, it's great. What is it like? It's um, it's this Japanese reality show where it's just a bunch of people living in a house together, and like they edit out like all of the like fights, and they just have them afterward being like, that got a little heated, <laughs> just because like so polite sweet. Japanese yeah. society. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And then the American version of the show, they just use those excerpts <laughs> yeah. and then run yeah. the whole show on that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, well, before we get into it, we also want to say hi to Holly. Hi, hi, hi Stephen. Hi. Uh, we had you on a show a couple months ago, and <laughs> was it? I think it was like last summer. (laughs) It was a while. We have a history now in this program. Yeah. And uh, we always talked about if any of us ever left town or was out, that we would need an official Joan Rivers. (laughs) And and we and we just decided it was you. I don't know if he told you that. No. I know that you're 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 referring to Johnny. Carson probably era, yeah. but the first thing I thought was like, I am a mean old lady, so <laughs> that's perfect. That However you want to take that is yep. great. Yep. Uh, so yeah, we're, uh, you're here because uh, Steven is out of town uh, at an anime convention. Yeah. I don't know. Do we ha- want to explain that or just leave that lay? Like, cause... I thought that was one of your jokes, Joan. I thought you were just <laughs> laying into Steven. Yeah, no, that's not it. 
Yeah, he's uh, out there promoting uh, Finjins at a, uh, a. There's a little indie booth there at the anime. Uh, was it Anime Central in Chicagoland? Somewhere near there. We should get details on that. Um, <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, he's got, he's got Finjins out there, and also um, uh, the company he works for has a game out there as well, and he's sort of doing double duty. So it's kind of a great uh, trip for him. So, uh, but it's it's sad now because we finally got you, Ben, oh. and, <laughs> and Stephen missed it. So we I don't want to say we're the same person, but you've never seen us in the same room together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just saying we're having to teach you back again for it to be like an official right. fulfillment of that initial request. You're right. Done deal. Okay. So yeah, we'll let that go forever. Uh, okay, well, let's get into it. We got two topics that you wanted to talk about that you sure. suggested for us. Uh, first one is uh, what games catch the eye of the gaming press? And I think a lot of our listeners are going to be interested in that. It's so hard. And, <laughs> and as someone on the other side of that fence, give us your wisdom. Oh, gosh. I don't know how much wisdom I have. Just to set it up. Yeah. I'm the video producer at Game Informer, not yeah. previews editor, none of that stuff. So I barely touch the magazine. I might suggest right. an entry in the top 10 list somewhere, and it might squeeze it in. But outside of that. So don't send them your emails. No, I am no gatekeeper here. Uh, but I can talk about, like, you know, the podcast and just in general walking around. Around conventions, walking around E3, yeah. what kind of stuff you see, what catches your eye. Yeah, you um, see, like you see so much, and I think that's where your where your wisdom lies. Is where sure. a lot of game developers we like we infer, we read articles, we go to a couple of these events. Right. We don't get a, a, anywhere close to the whole picture. And what's fascinating to me is I hear very smart developers, even and local, you know, international, all over the place, where they say, "Oh, you know, developing games is great, but I just don't want to communicate it." I don't want to try and market this thing and actually come up with some plan to get it in front of other people's eyeballs. It's like, that's the fun part, isn't it? Like, I should you? quit my job and be like, hire me. I'll do the thing you hate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you guys feel that way where it's like, that's the hassle is just getting across that finish line and getting it to other people. You know what it is? Is it, I like it. I like, I like showing off my game at, at an event. But then when I go home and I realize what I accomplished, it's so little. Uh, for the amount of energy I put in that it really turns me off from it. It sours me on the experience. But I don't, I don't like when developers are like, oh, no, no, sales, that's not for me. I'm an artist. Right. You know, I, I'm like, well, I'm an artist too, but like, that, that's a little bit, you know, that's going to hurt you. It's also a pretty crummy attitude. Right. But, I, but I, I get it. I totally get the, because it's like, you, it's, it is pushing a, a boulder up a mountain. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is that boulder? Like, what is the effort that you're, is it just explaining the game 400 times over and over and over again? Yeah, yeah. So, like, when you're, I mean, there's a couple of different ways, right? You're, you're at an event and you're showing off the game, like a public event, right? Yeah. And so, um, it, it, for my case, it took me a while to realize, like, oh, well, my game's in development. So, what is it that I want from people? Well, I want their emails, right? So, I can get, con- get them to, to, to uh, uh, sign up for a mailing list, get, get, uh, get a beta, that sort of thing. I'm not really selling it yet, but I still want to get people, like, when it's on sale, I want them to buy it. So, I got it. So, it's kind of like I don't know what your goal is exactly like when you're talking to a person it it ends it just becomes like a huge ball of spaghetti <laughs> right right of like how yeah. you think about your own game and how you present it to people and depending on where you are at or like when you're putting a trailer together it's like well should i focus on these particular features that i know are great about the game or should i focus on the one feature i know will hook the player and just trust that they'll come to find the things they love right right you know? it's, it's gonna be tough to figure out like how much to compare it to other games as well yeah like you see that all the time in press releases oh, where yeah. it's this like okay that, right exactly yeah. you like cuphead then you'll love <laughs> this like, well, okay stop pushing it so hard but i think that's i enjoy those easy comparisons even in the triple a yeah. space it's always just a huge relief doing developer interviews when they just will easily say like, oh, we love Dark Souls and we're kind of like it in this way, just to have a frame of reference for, you know, just gamers being gamers, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's good to hear because 
when I, because I hear that too, like, oh, this meets that is so cliche and people hate it. But when I'm at events or when I talk to people, they tell me, oh, your game is like this meets that. And I'm yeah. like, well, then it's got to work. Of course. Right? Like, why would, I mean, you would appreciate it if you were yeah. looking at somebody else's game. Like, um, what is one I played at the Glitch anniversary The uh, where you rotate the little colored cube around? Color, color jumper. jumper. Color jumper. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That was one where it's just like, okay, I forget the developer's name. He was very nice. Ben. There we go. Hey, I can't believe I forgot that. Uh, there could but, be only one. Like, just having that easy reference for like, oh, it's kind of like Super Meat Boy, except it's not like it in these ways. It's, yeah. it's such a relief just to talk about that right away and not try to grab onto the success fully of Super Meat Boy to be like, well, if you played Super Meat Boy, then you'll absolutely need to play ah, this game. Ah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what's worse than that would be saying this game is like nothing you've ever played before. Like right. that's way worse than having an easy comparison. Yes, that's true. That's true. Because you can look at it and be like, well, now I'm just left with an ambiguous taste in my mouth. Like I'm not going <laughs> to go and talk about this game if it's that impossible to talk right. about. Yeah. Martha, do you like communicating uh, about your game? Is it tough? Um, well, I really like going to the in-person, like, like, I like showing games at things. It's really fun for me. Like I'm working on a game Clawbreaker with crabs. And so I just do like this little dance and try to get people to come <laughs> and play the game. And that's super fun. Even that's like draining. But Wait, like, so like <laughs> somebody's across the room instead of waving to them to get them to come over, you just make like weird crabby sounds? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can't confirm that works. I, yeah, yeah. I've seen it in action. It works. <laughs> and you get other people doing it or at me, at least me. I was down. I'm like, I'll help. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to get people to like, jump on board um and that's really fun like even when i'm showing off a game i don't particularly like i think in person is where i am really good at what i'm bad at is like the social media or okay whatever so <laughs> that's hard for me but that whole thing <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah. it's like what can you trickle out every single week talking about your game over and over and over yeah. again on social yeah. media? like here's this here's, feature i added a code thing that you don't <laughs> care about yeah. <laughs> and that's uh that goes out to game dev twitter Right. And game dev mm. Twitter will give you all the likes you want to fill your soul. Right. But like that doesn't do anything for you going forward. And I think some developers mix those two things up. They, that they, mm. they show off like, here's the, cause gamers like seeing games in development, right? Yeah, they like seeing sure. updates and stuff in the behind the curtain. That's a really cool experience. Um, but a lot of times, uh, especially indie devs, small timers, like our, our updates go out to game dev Twitter and like, and it, it's important to know that so you don't like waste your marketing energy on that stuff. Yeah. Like, right. Effort versus impact. Yeah. That's, that's truly social. That's that, and that is really useful. I love doing that, but I never believe that's going to sell me a copy. Right. You what know? do you believe will sell you a copy? I honestly have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's very tough. Uh, Martha I mean, dancing in front of my booth. Yeah, it's probably the only sure bet. <laughs> Even from my perspective, it's so confusing. Yeah. You, know, you look at like big games, like, you know, something like Tacoma. Like, oh, yeah. to, to Gone Home. Everyone in the world played Gone Home. It's great. Uh, and then Tacoma came out, and according to Steam Spy, at least, it was like a couple months after that game came out. I think it was like barely over 10,000 copies on Steam. Oh. It's like, how is this possible? Like, Xbox was pushing it hard. We had it on the cover. Oh, it was a couple years before its release, but yeah. we had it on the cover, you know? It's like, what does a game need to do if that kind of pedigree can't blast you through to a wider audience? Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. What's well, the difference between like mindshare and then converting people to customers? Right. Yeah, you don't know. It's like there's still so many unknowns. I think I don't remember when that game, when did that game come out? It was last year, I think. Really? Yeah. See, and I just realized that it was out recently. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, that game, it's out. I can buy it. <laughs> oh, my God. It seems like they're out there doing plenty of interviews, but it is yeah. just that I don't know if it's an easy game to get excited about. Mm -hmm. Even like Gone Home, it kind of like hit the culture a little bit harder. People were talking about it a lot more, whereas Tacoma. 
it launched and people were like, oh yeah, maybe someday I'll play it. But no one's like, I'm going to play it day one. I have it pre-ordered. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not a type of game. And even, I don't know what it is, maybe it's related to the genre a little bit too, but we saw that a little bit with uh, like Prey from Arcane. Mm-hmm. It's oh. another weird example where it's a big game, Bethesda yeah. backing it in a big way, but it's that immersive sim genre. It's just a tough one to get out there where it's like immersive sim yeah. fans, they're hardcore, they're great. But they're not exactly the pre-order type and the lineup right. the store type of crowd, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, they'll play it at some point, but they're not waiting for every new trailer to drop so they can analyze every story detail in there. <laughs> and on the other side of that, I was like, oh, pray that looks kind of interesting. I'll read up on that. Oh, there's, a, there's an older game. But, it's really yeah. but, like, because I'm not interested in that, I'm not really part of that, like, that fandom, yeah. like, I felt a little bit walled off from it. So, so it seems like they lost on both sides of that fence. Yeah, yeah, I right. think that's true. I guess so. So the point is, it's nearly impossible, everybody. Right. <laughs> Give up now. Did you guys, did you read uh, the blog post? It's interesting. It went up maybe a month or so ago. Where's the developer of um, Where Water Tastes Like Wine? Mm. Oh, yeah. Just talking about, like, I thought we did everything right. And then it launched out there. And I forget how many copies they said it sold. It was something like maybe 4,000. Right, maybe. right. And it's like, all right, well, I guess that's it for us. We'll see. Uh, it's just the most <laughs> depressing thing. Because, I mean, we gave the game a 9.0. Elise, uh, a game mm-hmm. from Reddit, really loved it. Uh, and it's like, okay, still not enough. It was. Uh, it had a lot of, like, buzz as, like, the next yeah. sort of, like, because it was such a unique game. And I remember thinking my first impressions were, oh, that's really cool. Why would I want to play that? Like, I, <laughs> so when, when I read that article, I mean, it's, it is sad, right? Because they got, they seemed to have everything going for them. But I also wasn't that surprised. Right. I think. Because I, it just seemed like, just being new and different is enough to get someone to read an article about you. Mm-hmm. But that's not, I feel like the, the, that next step was never taken. Because I never got from any of those impressions and any of those, like, um, those, uh, uh, those previews that it got, I never really got the impression of what the game was For sure. or why I would want it. Yeah, even like, I, you know, Elise was raving about it and I went and watched the trailer. It's like, all right, it's a still image of a wolf in a shop talking it's like, that's a tough game to cut a trailer around like yeah. how the hell do you do that right 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 oh yeah so what what are some success stories <laughs> like i feel like we're talking about games that oh yeah sorry for the negative <laughs> tell us some things that didn't fail yeah. some things that didn't fail and why they didn't fail yeah, what does break through yeah it's tough and the easy stupid shorthand is like oh it'd be cool if your game looks good to stream if it's a yeah. fun yeah. streaming game it's a success there you know you think of like you know, this isn't trivially necessarily, but like that Friday the 13th game. Oh, yeah. Came out where yeah. it came out and it was a janky mess and everybody, I felt like in the press was like, okay, good idea, but all right, moving on. And then it just kept, kept climbing up the Twitch charts. Like, what is this? People right, are really right. into watching. People get murdered because it's good mm-hmm. reactions. So, yeah, more gore, you guys, indie devs. <laughs> let's get out there. Come on. More blood, more jump scares. This is what you guys need. Out there. <laughs> yeah, the, that success was interesting because... Uh, Part of its sort of jankiness was part of its charm. Right. And the license that was attached to it, I don't think was the big reason for its success. Yeah. Right? I think you're right. Like yeah. the first impression, you'd be like, oh, yeah, right, because it's a licensed property. But I don't think that's why people liked it. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about like inventions, what catches people's eye. Everybody wants a cool new game to champion. You know, it's not like, well, maybe some journalists are snobs out there, but it's <laughs> few and far between. Most people are walking around conventions being like, what game can I show off? What can I communicate to my audience that will be cool? Largely so then I can seem cool too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is as shallow as that. I think a lot of times it's like, you know, you want to find the, the most obscure band and then rave about it to your friends. You know, it's like the equivalent of I looking through the record I knew them before for. they were cool. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, this is such a dumb thought, but I've had it a lot where it's like, oh man. 
I think if I go back in my Twitter history, like I might be one of the first people to be like, no guys, Rocket League is really cool. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's a stupid sense of pride. Like, Stardew Valley, seriously guys. You know, like that level of thing. So people are eager for that. And the better or more you can get it in front of people's eyes that have that, I don't know, appetite to communicate. I think it's, I think it's a good thing. And I don't know if that comes down to the dopey thing of like customizing emails to specific outlets or people i think that's surprisingly effective yeah you know we get so many generic emails all over the place dear game outlet journalism (laughs) my game is cool right right love developer (laughs) it's a lot it's a lot like online dating right you want to look at their profile find specific interesting beats and then try and corner towards that where it's like oh if you follow a game or a podcast like the easy allies podcast or something you know you can say oh i know that that damiani guy he really loves sim games. So if I pitch this, it's like, hey, I'm a big fan of the show. Right. I know you like these types of games. You might want to check this out with a trailer that gets right to the point. That seems like an okay route. But the downside is, even if you get that, you're not a surefire bet. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, even if we talk about a game on a podcast, like the Game Informer show, uh, for a random example, I don't, I don't know what that percentage of the audience is that's like, well, I need to go out and buy this immediately yeah. just because the game was technically mentioned. You know, if it's so good... And you just hit that editor in that sweet spot of passion where then they go on there and scream into the microphone and say, everybody within the sound of my voice, go download this game. <laughs> then maybe you might get like a 4% like conversion rate. I have no idea. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's because um, I, I, when you're sending out those emails, yeah. um, which I have done, and I'm like trying to personalize as much as I can, but it's like I only have 12 hours to devote to this today. I can't write personalized love letters to every journalist. <laughs> totally, totally. You only have to personalize the first like, two sentences well even that i mean that's true actually and and the thing it's really interesting because i don't know if anybody else has this problem but because i don't do that professionally i i get there and i'm like oh but this is fake or like oh i'm gonna copy and paste that because they're not gonna know like and it's like oh i feel similarly about these two outlets so i'll just write them the same note yeah and but in my mind i know i'm i'm a i'm a fraud (laughs) like (laughs) so i overthink it you know and then you're like scanning it again and again to be like okay is the copy paste did i leave any specific things like just plural or like references that's not going to work. Yeah. And you know, I'd like to think that the person on the other side of that like is also a human and will like if there's a mistake they'll be like okay with that or whatever. But yeah. like it, you know, you never know what's going to make you go into the 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 junk mail folder, right? Right. I don't know. I think worrying less about it is probably important, especially if you're a small time if you're not hiring someone specifically for that task because it's totally crazy making. Yeah. Because even when you can like put all the data in it, uh like you still don't know what the result is going to be. Yeah. At least I don't. Like, Holly, you know more about this. Because you do this professionally. Yeah. <laughs> I do. So, like, what, it, what do you want me to say? <laughs> say anything to make you feel better. Well, even if you feel like you're wasting a lot of time and putting in a lot of effort that might not be paying off, A, yeah. it's good practice. B, you'll never be like, maybe I should have customized the email more. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you weren't just blasting it out into the world. Mm-hmm. And I have, um, I ha- kind of have a recurring argument with my boss. And this is of course in the nonprofit space. We're mostly pitching local media. It's different, but she's a big fan or was before I proved myself to be right. Oh, <laughs> a big fan of doing like just a big wide blast, like e- email every reporter oh, sure. at this local outlet, every editor, every producer, and just hope that it sticks for someone. And the most customization you get is like getting their first name in there. Mm-hmm. Um, What's a better strategy is emailing 12 people a custom email that shows that 
you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And even if they don't pick up your story, you might get a really nice no, which is also one of my favorite things. Like I like to report those up. I'm like, this person was interested. They just didn't have time. That's great. I'm going to email them again. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, never that's data you can act on going forward. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think finding that balance is probably the tricky part. It's like, uh, how do you narrow that down? One, for your own sanity and also for to give the those notes the attention they deserve. Yeah. yeah. Right. What about on the Twitter front, Holly? What do you find really works? Front? Yeah. For like getting people to click on tweets and That's exactly then buy your it. Yeah. <laughs> um, nothing. Twitter is a wasteland. How dare you? How dare you? Did you see my Rocket League tweet? <laughs> I guess I'm not sure in the game does phase. Honestly, for my in my own experience, it's it's different from every job I've had. Right now, Twitter is our most dead network where we're really? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it works best for us around like legislative issues, not something that games is touching much. <laughs> like it's it's full of like really thoughtful champions who want to talk about services and the, the politics that affect them and, and yeah. not people who want to buy our stuff or uh, anything else. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by Twitter analytics in general and yeah. YouTube analytics as well uh, with my job, but uh, it's such a stupid, simple lesson, but something that I constantly learn on a weekly basis is just, it p- always pays to be specific. Right. You know, like every week we tweet out the Game Informer Show podcast and if the tweet just says, hey, there's a new episode of the Game Informer Show podcast. We talk about more games than you can shake a fist at. Come on now. <laughs> it's like, you know, we have millions of Twitter followers. And I don't know, maybe a uh, hundred people will click through it. But if it's like, yeah. hey, we debate whether or not Borderlands 3 is going to be at E3 this year. Mm-hmm. Like just something so specific. <laughs> even if it's like just a sliver of that podcast, it just the click-through rate is so yeah. much bigger. And it kind of applies to, to YouTube headlines as well. Yeah. Where I don't know if you guys... You pay attention to what you're actually clicking through on YouTube, but you know there's always just nonsense in my home landing feed where it's like <laughs> Steven Spielberg talks about working with Martin Scorsese, you know, and it's like, sure, yeah, I'll I'll watch that, and it's like 20 minutes, you know, and maybe they don't get to that question until minute number uh-huh. 17, but I don't really feel too robbed by it. Like I like knowing yeah. concretely if I take this action and click on this thing, how will like what will I know coming out of it? Like what is yeah, the information yeah. that I'll yeah. have when I leave this? I yeah. feel like talk shows have really perfected that on YouTube specifically. Like they have a clip and they have like one specific weird anecdote that's rising 100%. from it. It's like Stephen mm-hmm. Young talks about how Conan O'Brien has been pronouncing his name wrong for two years. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to watch that. I don't just want to watch an interview with him. Yeah. Well, I probably would actually, but you know. No, you turn like talk shows have been amazing like this. And you can watch the YouTube evolution over the last couple of years. I feel like Jimmy Fallon was the smartest, the earliest maybe in that front of just being hyper specific. But Absolutely everybody. Like, what was it? J.J. Abrams was on Colbert not too long ago. And I think the headline for the entire interview, which is a wide-ranging interview, was just J.J. Abrams says the script for Star Wars Episode Nine is locked down or something mm-hmm. like that. Or like he's finished the script. Right. Which is such a weird thing, but it, that's specific detail. It's like, yes, yeah. I will now watch that entire interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like honest clickbait is what it is. Right. Yeah, right. I guess so. Good SEO. Yeah. yeah. But then you read the comments and I'm sure it's always just clickbait. Right. Come on. Right. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair yeah. We got all the time. I read every YouTube comment for Game Informer, which... Oh, not, that's news. Well, it doesn't help, it doesn't help uh, my sanity in general, but I think it's fun. I like getting into the trenches like that. And uh, something we see all the time, and it's very frustrating, is you know we'll have, uh, uh, here's a good example, is like Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Elise Favis, again, who I mentioned previously. Uh, she went and played the game, but they aren't releasing any gameplay footage yet for the new Tomb Raider game. And so we talk about it. We talk about how the game plays mm-hmm. on our show, and it's like, well... Now for the YouTube pullout standalone version of that segment, how can we work the word gameplay in there without <laughs> making people angry yeah. that it's not showing actual gameplay? And oh, so yeah. you couch it and you frame it saying, 
our thoughts and discussion about Shadow of the Tomb Raider's gameplay. Right. And then it's still filled with downvotes. <laughs> you didn't show us any of the gameplay. Oh. No. What if we just say, we talk about that game. Yeah, yeah. I think it's you less say, clickable. say, like, the not gameplay, not dash gameplay. Well, right. it's tricky because this yeah. is totally true, gameplay. I find, <laughs> when, when I'm trying to communicate something about my game, is that I know things about my process and my industry and my work and that the people I'm talking to don't, and I don't yeah. realize that right away. So in your example, like... You, you try to be very careful, but your audience doesn't realize you can't get that footage. Yes, you're totally right. And they don't know why. Like, yeah. It doesn't make sense to them why you can't, right? Because right. you're Game Informer. Yes. And, <laughs> and, so, and it's really not their fault that they don't know that. But there's almost no way you can like, give them a little lesson about that first before they read your headline. Yeah, you're right? totally right. And we also had a weird case recently where our cover story right now is Days Gone from Sony Bend mm-hmm. out there in Oregon. And, um, and so with that one... It something lined up in a magical way where the developers were really on board, Sony was really on board, and we have a ton of gameplay to show off, like hours and hours, right? And so we're putting it out there, but of course, this game isn't coming out until next year. And so it's like, it's a little janky, little broken around the edges still, like, go easy, everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, cool, let's put a big thing that says alpha gameplay on the screen, big watermark, let everybody know. And then every time we talk about the game too, it's like, all right, well, we want to communicate that this is not finished footage yeah mm. and it's just impossible every comment you know is like this looks a little bit broken it's not ready this isn't ready to be released it's like, yeah i know yeah, but, but, what, what do you but, think alpha means <laughs> that's, that's the big debate is a bunch of know-it-alls being like you guys don't know what alpha means i know what alpha means right. more than the commenter before <laughs> it's just a mess to try and communicate that but that is just mm-hmm. the thing of like we're used to it we know where that's coming from yeah. it's really generous of both sony and the developers to be that open about it and to then use it as a weapon against them. It's like, no, you guys, be <laughs> thankful that you get this early look yeah, at this game. Yeah. It's wild. Right, right. And that, yeah, that relationship between the press and uh, especially hot, like AAA developers, get, like, gamers don't want that to be too cozy, but they want, right. to, be, they want it to be pretty cozy. <laughs> they want, right? yes, they want the results of the access. <laughs> yes, yeah. Right, yeah. right. But then it's also going to be used against you very easily. Right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, there's, there's no way to win. <laughs> do you guys follow the AAA scene much? Uh, in the indie game scene, do you oh, ever feel sh- like there's lessons from that that you try and partake? Uh, from AAA? Yeah. Uh, it's, I think I find that people tend to learn the wrong lessons from AAA and, and uh, like I don't know this for certain, but it feels like that everyone's like, oh, we want to have like a, um, a a pre-announcement trailer or something, like six huh. like six months before or something. And it's like, well, I don't know that people have the bandwidth for that. Like if it's an indie game, right, right, or they put a lot. It's um, it's the thing I saw a lot when I was when I was working in video production. I saw a lot of filmmakers um, who were you know shopping their short films around to film festivals like puff themselves up like they were big time Hollywood film directors and they didn't do it because they were like, you know, they felt that they were all full of themselves. They just think that's what you had to do. And I see game developers doing that also. And so, um, I, I mean, I don't, I think uh, certainly the, the people in our community, because we have each other to share our experiences. Like I don't see a lot of people making a ton of huge mistakes that way. Uh, but, but when you, when you go into like a web forum, like a game dev forum and people start asking their first questions about these things, like, it's amazing how quickly they're like, oh, I thought I, I had to do it like Activision does it, you know? Huh, just because so many people maybe come from Activision, yeah. Right, and because as a, as a consumer, you are exposed to that from, you get most of it from the AAA space. Right. Right, and a lot of times you hear about the big breakthrough indie games from AAA media, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so it is, it, it, um, it, it's, it's just hard to learn I don't know about the right lessons, but it's easy to learn the wrong lessons. Yeah, and beyond the communication angle as well, just in terms of game design, do you feel like people 
overreach because of AAA where they say, I'm starting to make an indie game. I'm going to make Uncharted. And then it turns into the most broken piece of garbage you've ever seen. I think that lasts like a week. Okay. Um, I, from the, certainly the people I know and anyone who's ever tried to do it, mm-hmm. like you get, you get disabused of those notions very quickly. I, I don't, I'm not super worried about developers biting off more. I think scope, 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 scope is the thing that like we say on this show all the time and everybody in this community says all the time. So I think we kind of get it now. Yeah. Right? What, what do you guys think? Like, is that lesson learned? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martha, uh, I listened to another episode of this podcast and you brought up the Double Fine documentary, which is one of my favorite things ever in it the world. So cool. period. It's so incredible. And it's all for free on YouTube. You can watch it at 720. It's great. <laughs> but in the Double Fine, uh, like two player productions, that video team that's out there, they also produce videos about Amnesia Fortnite, which is Double Fine's oh. game jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back years and years ago, it, it was fascinating to watch a studio with a lot of talented developers like Double Fine where they broke off into this game jam and one group was like, we love Team Eco. We want to make a game that's like Eco. Let's go. <laughs> and you just get to watch them over two weeks try and clear that bar. And they don't. <laughs> it's so hard to shoot for that high of a target. Oh, yeah, of like, yeah. We're going to make the most beautiful, artistic, smooth thing you can experience. And then it's just a clunker. Yeah, yeah. The mechanics in Eco are not terribly complicated. You feel like you probably could until you start doing it, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. Because there's more to it than just like the, the tech requirements or or the mechanical complexity. Like I, I think it's that's the thing I think game developers take the longest time to learn is that um, that like the narrative structures and the sort of the game feel and the sort of emotional impart that you get from a game is as complicated and difficult to design and assemble as you know all your scripts. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, just at that glitch anniversary, I played more of. Anti-piracy, which is called Hyperdot now? Yes. yes. Okay. Officially. Okay, there it's we go. Officially. Now, yeah. I saw the trailer. It was great. The announcement <laughs> of the name trailer. Uh, <laughs> no, but with that one, it's one of those very subtle things where it's like, it just feels good to move. Like, the momentum yes. of that dot is one of those secret little ingredients in that genius of a game, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just like, the momentum is perfect. And I don't think people would appreciate it. It's like, no, you touch the controller and it moves a certain way. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. There's art in those Mario <laughs> jump physics. Like, yeah. there's something yeah, yeah. you guys don't see. Yeah. Well, as a video editor, you know, it's like the, the, the best cut is the one no one notices. Right. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the video world. Okay. Because you started out in the video world. You guys can take a break over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll talk about the analytics or something. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, how much uh, skill and just kind of mind space I think carried over between being a video editor and then moving into game design. I, I mean, for me personally, I don't think this is true for other people. I think everyone comes in their way, but for me, like a hundred percent. Like I feel like as a as a game designer and developer, I feel I am the same storyteller I I was when I was making films. Huh. And um and what's interesting about that is like I don't want to make uh, cinematic style video games. Yeah. And um because I can I can just make movies for that. And I think that it that makes it like I I've, I can scratch that is somewhere else. But as a storyteller, like in terms of the impression I want to get, like the the stories I want to tell about uh, people and concepts, uh, like I have those same drives. And I don't think that has anything to do with like the tools I'm holding. I think that's just my identity as an artist. And that gives me confidence in my identity as an artist that it's not tied to specific forms uh, or tools or methods. Um, and it and but I, I definitely feel that like if I had not spent all the years I did uh, as a as a filmmaker and then the years I still am as a video producer, like I don't think I would be as good a game developer. 
Um, and that's that's totally apart from like all the time I needed to take to learn those skills. That's uh, uh, utterly separate from that, I think. Yeah, yeah. So just on the storytelling front, just like with the games, I want to create more emergent narratives for the players. I'm not going to sit back for this cutscene that's just going to bore everybody. To yeah, tears. exactly. Because there's so much you say when you're making a game that that you don't mean to say. And that's the thing I learned as uh, working in video production is that everything you do says something. And so right. if you don't know what that is, then you, then you don't have full control of your work. Do you need full control of your work? I mean, I guess you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you put it that way because like immediately I'm like, I guess not. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I think um, uh, you should be cognizant of, if there are things like, oh, I don't really know what this, this imparts. But as long as you know that, I guess, yeah. as long as you have a, a, a general sense of where you're going and you don't do things just because it's the way it's been done. And, and, and at this, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a very big, I'm not a believer in novelty. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't, doing something different for its own sake is not interesting to me. Um, even if that could get maybe a, a more uh, click throughs on my email. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I think just um, being uh, as deliberate as you want to be and as you can. Um, and, and that, that ends up, you know, then I spend a weekend working on the tiniest thing no one notices, but like that to me, that's my process. That's how I feel. That's how that legitimizes myself as an artist. Yeah. It reminds me on the video front of just the quality. It's important. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be hundred percent. This is the very specific thing I'm thinking of is like opening the game. It's just like, okay, it's this type of game. I think I got it moving on. It reminds me of like, you know, if your audio quality isn't ideal in a video yeah. if you start out that way if it's like a six out of ten if someone's just clicking through on youtube it's like yeah. okay not the end of the world we'll go through but if it's jumping all over the place and you're yeah. using different mics left and right then it'll really stand out but basically like those first couple seconds even with a game or mm-hmm. a video it's like all right it set a tone i won't question it now i'm yeah. gonna go along with it you know? right it's a, it's um we talked about this in a, in a recent episode about trust about the player should trust in that the developer knows what they're doing hmm. so that so that the the player will let them take on if you want to do something crazy with your game something weird something non-standard you uh you the player should let you take them there and uh, um so i I'm, I'm very much dislike movies for example that have amazing middle like uh set pieces and then they're like dialogue scenes are like staged and edited poorly. Yeah. Because then it's like, oh, okay. Well, then there was, there's no. This was just a. This was just a, a, a production. It wasn't. A, it's not a work. Yeah. You know. Right. Right. I always love the dumb thought experiment too. Just thinking about games versus movies. Uh, I forget who said it originally, but just that idea that uh, two characters in a room talking in a movie is the cheapest thing you can do. And the easiest and the complete opposite is maybe true for video games. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's very hard to pull off and not just bump people the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the difference between what's technically difficult and what's actually difficult. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. You know, those two people in a room, that's easy to stage. Right. But that might be the hardest scene to film. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. Uh, and not just, not just for like actorly reasons, but for all sorts of reasons. Right. And, and so, um, uh, not, uh, separating those things out and, and taking a more holistic view of, of, a, of a project, I think is important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So I, I took over a big part of that part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're still, we're still here. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, do you guys have thoughts on that? Like that, that, that idea of that sort of holistic approach to games or uh, what, what matters, I guess, coming through? I feel like, okay, so if I were making games more often than in a game jam, <laughs> um, so my background is, um, is writing. I was an English major. I turned that writing talent to marketing, so I, I sold out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that I, I recognize a lot in games that I'm playing. So um, 
if if the story is wacky but the dialogue is good, I'm I'm there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if the story is really good but then it ends on a really hokey note, and I'm like, oh, why'd you do this? Like I really <laughs> wanted to, oh, I want, really wanted to tell everyone about this, and now you ruined it for me. <laughs> Night in the Woods is ending. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no. Okay. I was Whoa. actually <laughs> thinking of uh, what remains of Edith Finch, but oh, interesting. Okay. I that game made me cry, and then at the end, I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> like that is how that would go. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, but I so I was thinking as you were talking about um, not bringing big cinematics into games because you you keep them separate. I'm like, well, I would bring like that would be my whole thing because yeah. that's the only thing I can do. I'm like, here you go, <laughs> here are well written characters, yeah. enjoy. Yeah. Right. Um, but I wouldn't bring like a novel, and I wouldn't make people read more than right, dialogue. Right. So I guess that. Well, that and that, you know, there are the games that are like uh, I mean, like uh, games that are just cinematics with like with with uh, like a Telltale game or something. Yeah, right. like there's. That's a per, that's also a perfectly legitimate game, and that's why, like, when I talk about these things, it's really about how I approach it, right? And it, it, that's the best thing about games is they can be anything, right? Yeah. Holly, so game jam experience. Mm. Do you normally do writing there then, or like, what uh, what are you doing in a game jam? That is what I can contribute. Okay, all right, and that usually <laughs> goes well. Writing, and I can be like, those colors are bad. Change them. <laughs> and the artist says no. <laughs> um, yep, that's. I would say that's my strongest suit. So. Okay, I feel you. That's a. It's a scary thing where. I always worry about that myself. We're like someday, maybe it'd be kind of fun to work on a game, but I don't want to be that stupid ideas person. <laughs> like, especially like knowing video. Like, I love being hands on and being actually yeah. helpful. You know, you don't want sixteen producers for a video standing around doing nothing. Where it's like, no, actually, I'm the one lugging the equipment around and actually making all these cuts, doing everything. You know, yeah. and so it's it's uh, comes from a very insecure place of yeah, I don't want to just sit around in a game jam and not have anything to do. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's like. When I've been in groups where someone has like a clear, this is what I want to do. Like that's how Clawbreaker started was at a a game jam. And Ava was just like, I want to make a game about crabs fighting. And this is what we're doing. She had a vision. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Like those are so cool because like you have a leader to follow who has, you know, an idea and they can pare down the, like the, the, you know, scope creep way more because their ideas are so, you know, succinct. So it's really helpful to have someone who isn't actually typing or drawing or whatever because we're working on that sort of thing right right and so. was she communicating that like in a powerpoint presentation or <laughs> like, how is she communicating that just saying it over and over again just ah, crabs fight go <laughs> well like we would bring her stuff and be like what what do you think of this and like lizzie would start drawing out like here's an example of what i'm thinking of the crabs and ava would be like i like that one but i don't like that one i like that one but i don't like that one <laughs> <laughs> just That's george leadership. lucas oh my yeah. god <laughs> Does george lucas stamp on the different crabs yeah <laughs> Pretty much, and, you just, and if someone someone is as nice and smart as Ava, no one's going to be like, "Boo, this person's a jerk." You yeah, know? Like, very few people can pull it off as well as she could. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, the, the, the trick to being the idea person is one, having good ideas, yeah, and, and two, uh, like letting people contribute and like and and being someone that people can follow, right? Right. Because uh, yeah, it is like being the idea person is like it's very bold of you to say that, but like there are people who can do it. You know? I guess so. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm uh, I'm such a hands-on person, and so I I have the sort of I have the arrogance of the technician, right? Right. Where I'm like, oh yeah, you you idea people, like once you're down in the muck, you know really how the ideas are <laughs> formed, you know, or whatever. But um, but I've definitely come to to appreciate like producers and people who and, and creative producers particularly, mm-hmm. um, people who can can guide things and and who appreciate and take an interest in even if they don't have an aptitude for. That what it needs to put things together for sure, and it, it always helps to shake it up. And this is a, a constant lesson. Like I was the first video person at Game Informer, and like building out that studio, doing all that work, 
you know, editors all the time would just be like, well, why can't this work that way? And yeah. it's like, look, I've been in the mud. <laughs> you don't know how this thing is rigged up. This thing is duct taped together. There's no way. But there's like those 20% of times when someone says, why isn't it like this? Or they'll watch a video and be like, it would be so much better if you remove this part. And you'd be mm-hmm. like, no, you don't understand. Like, I have the music timed perfectly. We can't adjust the timing of this at all. Then you sit back and it's like, no, they're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, just, it, it helps to have that oddball lightning strike every once in a while to oh, yeah. rattle your cage and then realize, like, okay, yeah, actually, you're totally right. I'm too in my mind about this. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this happened with our show a bunch where, like, one of us will propose an idea and then the other two will just be like, that sounds <laughs> dumb, but fine. I guess we'll try it. And then it'll turn out to be, like, the best possible decision <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah little team like little indie teams uh like our show or like a game jam team or like the widget satchel team right now like having those kinds of conflicts is so invigorating because you if you once you have enough trust that someone's not like tearing down your idea because they don't like you yeah right like then you can really engage them on it and then you can feel a lot more comfortable saying like okay maybe I, my idea isn't the best and having that kind of Relationship is really good. Uh, what does that take? Do you just have to assemble a team that has a thick skin that can take it and know that it's not coming from a personal place? Because I'm very sensitive in the workplace, <laughs> yeah. not outside of the workplace, but in the workplace, <laughs> I will cry all the time. You know? <laughs> and so how do you build up that team and just make yeah. sure that you're, you're staffing up people that can take it, that understand that we all want the best possible product that's not, nothing personal? The examples that I can cite, it's a lot of uh, friendships help. And, and like work friendships uh, count, right? Um, uh, at that level of trust, and 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 it takes a little while to get there, I think. Um, and it's not it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't get easy and stay easy, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I don't know, Martha. What, what what's what's your experience here on the show? Here on Mike? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how do you get along and manage that process? Um. Well, yeah, I think friendship helps. Be- like trusting each other because like that can help you get through even creative differences like i swear swore i was never going to work in a group with you at a game jam ever again because like our work <laughs> oh, no like working on a game like was so difficult that first game jam we yeah. worked on but then like we ended up working on another game and i was like oh yeah that's actually okay like i know what to expect i know where our friction is going to like be and where is it where is that friction let's really dive in here yeah. um <laughs> get version control <laughs> Yeah, I think that first one was uh, not to let myself off the hook, but that first one was mostly Martha, fix Git for me. Martha, fix Git for me. (laughs) To her credit, she fixed it for me. There we go. I just don't know why whenever the the repo gets to your laptop, it comes out like totally messed up. Whatever it was, it was 100% not my fault. I maintain that to this day. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Holly, how's your working environment? Uh, <laughs> fine. Okay. Good. Actually, I like my team a lot. We get along really well, um, which makes it hard because then we're all we're all uh, friends. And when someone quits, it's like, no, <laughs> this, I forgot that this is the reason I came to work today. Yeah. Then we have to bring in somebody new. Like, oh, it's going to be weird. <laughs> it could take a year for their sense of humor to come out. It's uh, always confusing, complicated. <laughs> yeah. What are they about? Uh. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's weird. It's very like not games related. Like, how is it to work at Goodwill Easter Seals, Minnesota? Let me tell you. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yesterday I tried to take a picture of the CEO and our um, 
the board chair and the camera didn't work and I look like a real dummy. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and had to run away. Like just <laughs> just give me a second. You're very important. Oh, I don't know. I'm a communications manager. I'm not supposed to be doing this. Oh, that's terrifying trying to get that stuff to work in the last second. <sighs> does what? that ever happen with you when like developers come in? Like are there ever disasters? <laughs> developers are disasters on our part or the developers? Either part? way. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. Like uh, primarily uh, I go on cover story trips. So I go out and visit uh, video game studios and we're usually there for like a day and a half, two days and just film interviews and then get the hell out. Um, but it happens all the time and it's always scary because with cover stories, you're usually seeing a pretty early version of the game. Yeah. And so games are crashing all the time, all over the place. And it's just, you just, it's so tough to just try and calm down a developer and explain like seriously we see this stuff all the time oh, yeah. like, we're not going to write in the preview and then there's a weird <laughs> graphical glitch and it crashed 14 times like, that's, that's save that for the review maybe you know yeah, what I mean yeah. but everyone's so paranoid it's like what do you think a preview looks like we're talking about the game we'll give you the benefit of the doubt yeah. at this point in general I mean I think even within the games press people think reporters might be out to get them um, or out to like get a big scoop it's like no we're friendly yeah. you know we yeah, we're, we, we like we're, games. We're, we're okay. Yeah. 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 And you see a lot in those stories and in those videos, there's always there's always caveats, right? Because like Game Informer, it would be sort of, um, it'd be uh, malpractice to just like present it as perfect in, in one of those kinds of things. But there's always that like, if it turns out like it, how it looks, or like there's always, yeah. it, it, there's, a, there's a feeling of sort of like... Uh, they have a lot of work to do, but if they can pull it off, this could be quite the experience. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of that too is to, is to make it so that like, if the game comes out and it's terrible, like right. that Game Informer doesn't look like they made the wrong call, right? right. So like there, there's some self-interest uh, there, but it yeah. feels like, um, it, I, I don't know that gamers fully get that thing, and developers probably never understand that, that, they're, that you're going to be kind to them. Right, yeah. especially because it's so important to them. Oh, yeah. in that moment. Yeah, I've right? been thinking a lot, about and they haven't seen the other developers who effed up too, right? Exactly. I mean, maybe at GDC they talked to other developers, but it's nice to have this kind of weird bird's eye view where you just go and check out all these studios a little bit and get a flavor yeah. of each team's culture and stuff. And one I've been thinking about a lot lately because they've announced that No Man's Sky next is we did a cover story on the original No Man's Sky and going to Hello Games. Sean Murray, very nice guy. Um, he looks at his shoes a lot during interviews, which is very frustrating. Like, what do I do with the camera? Like, do I just put the camera on the ground so he can't possibly get out of the shot? But uh, he was constantly just making this, you know, sad statements. But like, look, I know, I know you're used to Naughty Dog, and we're not, we're not Naughty Dog. We're just a little studio here. Like, he just constantly kept referencing Naughty Dog. He's like, dude, we know you're not Naughty Dog. We're on board with your weirdo sci-fi game. It's fine. <laughs> probably heard a lot about the Sony stablemates at the <laughs> yeah, probably. We're like, yeah. all right, we'll get you a glass of water for when you're in the studio. I know you're probably used to find wine from Naughty Dog. <laughs> no, like, it's fine, dude. Everybody's different, don't I? But then, in terms of like panicking and things crashing, it can also happen happen the other way where it's oh, I, I have nightmares about this. But going into a studio. You have very limited time, especially like, okay, schedule's mapped out. We're talking to this person here, talking to this person here, game demo here. And so it's like, okay, you have a 30-minute window to interview this famous developer, right? It's like, all right, video guy, go. And it's like, okay, where do we have to set up? Let's scout this office as much as possible. Okay, yeah. we can't film over here because there's top secret concept art. Okay, it's going to be too <laughs> noisy here. Okay, the, the the lunch train, like when lunch happens, if it's happening around noon, everyone's going to walk through this hallway. So that won't work there. So it's like this crazy puzzle. It's like, okay, then the developer's office. They have a big, big office. Big office. It's like a creative director or something. Let's set up in there. But then the problem is they're sitting there 
And it's like, you know, sometimes it takes a while to set up like a two camera shot yeah. in this tiny little space, tweaking the lights. It's just a nightmare. Oh no, to there's no make... outlets. Exactly. <laughs> you guys have an extension cord. I don't know. Where's your IT guy? Let's talk to him. How does this work? And so it's so stressful just to have that 15 minute window of trying to set up these shots while trying to make small talk with the developers so it doesn't seem just super awkward with right, you in their right. office rearranging their desks. It is a nightmare. It's yeah. really the, the scariest thing I do. <laughs> right, and they're probably sitting on the other side of that going, why is he so nervous? I don't mind, right? Yeah, probably. And then the cameras start rolling, and then I say, why is the developer so nervous? Like, <laughs> they're so much smarter than we are. Like, fine. Just, just relax, everybody. Yeah. It, it happens so much uh, in developer interviews. It's so fascinating that You'll see and interact with this developer over a course of a couple of days, and they're just incredibly smart, uh, and you're humbled, and they're great, and they're enthusiastic and passionate about the game that they're making, which they should be, and then the cameras start rolling, and then it's just fear, yeah. right? And they just, okay, let me jump back to those marketing points. We have the three pillars of the game. Let me just walk through those. <laughs> and it just sucks to see enthusiasm from developers drain out of their faces when the cameras start up. and. Mark, I'm sure you're used to this, doing interviews, you know, and stuff in the video world. But it's so tough to try and make people feel comfortable when there's a camera pointed at them. Yeah, and then there's like the, I don't know, like the thing I always get was the the restating the question and the answer. Ugh. Like um, uh, for people who have not done these, uh, when, when you're interviewing someone you, and you don't want you or a narrator narrating the questions in the final product, you ask the, you say, I'm going to ask you a question. And then when you answer, please sort of re- restate the question and the answer yeah. so we can just use it as a soundbite. And be like, oh, well, I've seen that before. I get that. Uh-huh. And then they never do. <laughs> no, of course not. So, yeah, we did that. And you don't want to stop them, right? Because like they, they're getting out a good thought. You know, we're like, uh, please uh, take two. Like, yeah, for sure. And so I just got to the point where it's like, all right, maybe it's a little bit narcissistic and I don't want to do it. But like, I'll just mic myself up. And then yeah. in the off chance where we need the question to kind of explain what they're talking about, then I'll have that in there. And it's one yeah. of those things where you get up in your head about like, well, it's weird to have this video interview where it's the developer, but then twice there's questions in there. But ultimately, it's that camp of people don't yeah. care. I it's think, fine. I think uh, uh, modern audiences understand the sort of cinema verite. They know behind. The, they're like, oh, they're okay with the little cracking of the fourth wall. And even like, you don't even. I mean, even if you're not mic'd, like they understand like the little like muffled sound. From yeah. The, so they kind of like that sometimes. And so using that. You know, just making use of what you end up with is is more important than trying to get it the way you planned it. Yes. I always right? think about this. I think, I forget if there's a good example of this, but I see it sometimes with even high-level documentaries where the audio from the questioner is that muffled off-mic yeah. thing, where it's like, clearly they know that they should have <laughs> mic'd themselves up, but how much is that's just the yeah, language of documentaries? Go. And it's like, if they're worried about it, they could just redub the question. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But there's something about, you feel like, it's a more raw experience if you hear <laughs> right, this person right. yell from off camera. I think they use that in that. What's the? It's the Netflix mockumentary, and I don't know how to explain it in an E for everyone way. <laughs> huh. American Vandal is what you're talking yes, about. Yes, yeah. yeah, you do. You're like I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I think that it was completely scripted, but they used that same tool of someone speaking in a muffled way off camera to yeah. the people that they were fake interviewing. Yeah, right, it's, right. It's, a, yeah. It's, a, it's a little piece of language that tells the audience, oh, the documentarian didn't plan for this. Yeah. Right? And when, when something they sort of did. Of course. <laughs> also, the, the dumb thing that I always love is every, well, a lot of good emotional documentaries always use, always use it, right? Where the, the guy being interviewed, girl being interviewed, they'll answer the question. And then if it's like an emotional question, then there's always the long pause after the question where they're like, just like really digesting it. But in my mind, I know, well, the interviewer is probably asking the follow-up question, then they just take that audio yeah, out. So yeah. it's like really they're listening, but it makes it look like they just realized it's something poignant and yeah. just like letting it sit in the room. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way that happened that way. No go. There's um, 
uh, professor I had at the U who does the, he has his own cable TV show on like at midnight on some like tiny cable channel. Awesome. And all he does is <laughs> Do you have any other ways of putting them down that you look at your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he does these there. He never edits any of the uh, interviews. He just, it's just an interview show. So he sets up a camera in like a corner and like the person is sitting there and he is always muffled back behind the camera and uh-huh. he leaves in all of his audio. Um, and there are these amazing interviews with like terrible production quality, but like the interviews are so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but that just reminds me of that, like the muffled voice. Yeah, thing. yeah, you gotta have it. What and are the interviews just, about? I want to know more about the show. They're just about like he just interviews anyone he could, like anyone he runs into, yes. like at places. He's just like, oh, you're. He he works a lot with the um, advanced. Uh, what's it called? The Institute for Advanced Study at the U. Yeah. So anyone who comes to give a talk there, he's like, you interview now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sir. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna be uh, this interesting push and pull between having the commercial style interview versus a more informational one. Which is what yeah. we're trying to do at Game Informer, mm-hmm. and you know, you ha- it happens all the time where you're interviewing a developer. And they're in their dev diary mode. Yeah. Right? Like produced by the company where they're like, all right, I know these lines. I know what has a good punch to it. And just trying to break them out of that rut can be so tough. And right. I, I don't know. Uh, it's something I found is it always helps to be genuinely curious on the interviewer's part and then just say, like, I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and then it's a weird tip that I learned. This is the dumbest place to learn, but I learned it from Alan Alda. I heard an interview with him where he was Font of wisdom, Alan. Oh, my favorite, my favorite. But he was talking about, I guess he produces uh, and he stars in all these like scientific documentaries where it's like, oh, you're going out and checking out blah, 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 blah. And he said that that was the best way to get scientists out of that rut because they have their like canned answer. But if he just follows it up with, I don't understand, that is confusing to me. Like I genuinely want to understand this, break it down a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand it, keep going. You know, like that works with developers too, where if they say something, you know, I don't know what a good flashy developer line is, but like, oh, this is immersive storytelling. <laughs> if you just say like, what does that mean? What are you talking yeah. about? You yeah, know, yeah. Like, totally and just keep innovative. drilling in it. And like they aren't expected to be thrown off that right, way. And right. it kind of gets a little more honest reaction. That's yeah, funny. yeah. I've and been trained course. in the opposite way. <laughs> so I've been trained as the person who doesn't fill in the reporter's silence because they want you to mess up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like less of a friendly space but yeah they ask a question and they just they they say nothing and they're waiting for you to fill in more facts and i'm like nope you got my talking points really <laughs> and i'm not and i'm not stepping out that's more of a crisis communications <laughs> you're in trouble uh, <laughs> way but that's that's good for when you actually want to understand something that's exciting and it, and it fits for them too in the show don't tell space right you're not yeah. supposed to say like my game is totally immersive and it's good of you to be like tell me how because uh-huh. then you're you're getting a better experience for everyone you're helping them pitch themselves you're helping other people you're helping people who are viewing or listening see if they want to buy or be interested in this game right but um yeah i have the like you're in trouble <laughs> you're, you're representing an organization that has a set set talking points don't let the reporter trick you into wow. saying more than you're supposed to i'm jealous that'd be kind of fun i mean rarely <laughs> i think everyone's on the same page we're excited about games we want to talk about games with our types of interviews you know and so rarely do we have like that confrontational interview Sometimes it's like, okay, let's talk about microtransactions in your game. And you know the developer doesn't want to do that. Right. Maybe the producer wants to do it a little bit more, but they don't want to put it in there either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So then that's, it's always like some awkward moments throughout interviews, but I think it'd be fun to do like a full confrontational interview. <laughs> Nail someone point. to the wall. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, few people in the games industry really deserve a nailing to the wall. Everyone's trying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and like you were saying with the like throwing them off their game, like that, I mean, I'm sure a developer hears that and goes, oh no. But like, right. what it is is they still have the talking points. 
you just need they just need to rephrase it in a more natural way. Yes. Right. And like and the talking points were there because they're not natural spokespeople. And so they were they were taking the things that was and so like it it all seems cynical, but in fact it does sound fairly like honest and genuine in a way for you to accomplish their goals in getting to them, you know, them to explain to your audience what it is they want to say. Yeah. Right. And it's such a bummer. Uh, one time I was setting up a shot with two very famous developers who I won't name from a very famous studio. And, uh, <laughs> was it Naughty Dog? I, I'm not going to And so I was setting up this shot and it was rolling and then I was like, oh, actually I forgot uh, I need to go get like a, a windscreen or something from the other room. And I went and, and got that. And then when I got back home and was editing the video and I got to go through like when I left the room yeah. hearing like what PR and marketing is like talking to them about. Oh. And the part that killed me is uh, the PR person is just like, just remember, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. That's <laughs> what they said. It's like, oh, that's such a bummer to know. Like, that's how developers are being coached. Wow. Before an interview is like, you know what you just said in that other room for the written interview? Just do that exact thing again. Yeah. Like, oh, for the video, we want to make it a little more lively so it's not just this drained look in what your eyes. What a horrible yeah. thing to be a developer and be told that, too. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> Don't be excited. <laughs> right, right. Well, no, you can be excited as long as you're just repeating the very specific things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's, that's interesting because um, I think uh, gamers want to hear from developers, right? Yes. Um, but but the companies want to put out spokespeople, and 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 so they just have to turn developers into spokespeople. Which yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that happens to actors when they go on talk shows. Yeah. But in a way that is like a little different, perhaps, because the expectation is so, um, like, like you just wouldn't accept a publicist on late night, right? Right. But that, but uh, because of the way that how secretive the gaming industry is, that is that's essentially what they want to do. Yeah, no, you're totally right, and it's a tough balance too. Because uh, a recent example that works out well is uh, Metro Exodus. We had the cover story for that, mm-hmm. um, and it's a bunch of developers from the Ukraine, uh, even though they're in Malta now, which is very strange. And so we're there filming in their studio, and the developers are very smart, but English is very much their second language. Right? It's like okay, they're so smart, but they're having a tough time communicating this. Meanwhile, we have the brand ambassador for Metro, like the more marketing guy, like ready to go. He knows all these beats. He can talk about the game. He knows it inside and out. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do you present to your audience? Yeah. What's more valuable? And so ultimately we went with the actual, you know, developers Mm -hmm. and then just tried to clean it up as much as possible. If you watch those video interviews, there's a lot of B-roll because there's a lot of trimming obviously (laughs) happening uh, throughout the course of that because they're so sweet. And I'm so happy that they're willing to be on camera. But it's just tough sometimes. It's like, I know you're uncomfortable speaking this language. We just want to understand it. And so please just feel comfortable in this environment. But knowing who's the best on camera is tricky. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I think people, I think marketers and comms people, present company included (laughs) or excluded, they they don't, um, they don't, they don't recognize how powerful it is to have an interesting and even realistic personality. Yes. um, Explaining their game, explaining their product, whatever it happens to be. Um, but on the on the flip side, I think of my boss's boss, my grand boss, if you will. <laughs> when I set him up with an interview with a reporter, he wants talking points because he's just so nervous. So yeah. it's hard to kind of tell where it's coming from. Is it the like PR person who's shaking their fists and saying, "Don't go off script," because I know that you're a disaster, or is, <laughs> is it someone who they they feel like they need a lot of help and they're not sure that they feel like if they do go off script, they'll say something that gets them in trouble or they'll sound dumb. It's it's a weird push and pull. I hope you encourage them to go off script in a smart way. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the person. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, if I know the nature of their going off script, yeah. it depends. In, in the games industry, I feel like it pays to go off script maybe more than it doesn't. I mean, so much depends on the de- like 
developer's personality and stuff. But yeah. it's fascinating to see those developers that just hit a chord with the audience in such a positive way. Like uh, Corey Barlog, the director of the new God of War. Mm-hmm. He's a good example of that. Where like so many of those comments that I read way too much of on YouTube <laughs> were just saying, I love this dude. Yeah. Like this dude's enthusiastic. And if it was a if he was a less charming guy or had a less charming personality, I'm sure maybe he would get in trouble for some of the things he said. Because like in that process of doing all those interviews for God of War, he was setting expectations very much in check. Like, I don't know if it's good. Like, we're trying our best. Who can say? And if he was just some meek guy with zero personality yeah. saying that, he'd be like, boo, you ruined God of War. But instead, the comments are like, that dude's got charm. Right. I love it. I'm going to buy his game. You know, and you see it. Like, personality matters a lot. Yeah, and just yeah. having that enthusiasm. But also, if maybe he was out there putting, in, putting out a new IP... That might not have sold as well. That 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 I'm not certainly sure. Like people wanted the new God of War. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. But I mean, there's another example. Go back to Sean Murray. I guess where mm-hmm. it was the new IP. It was very scary. Yeah. And his stance was to look at the floor and say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Naughty Dog can sell this game, but we can. Right. And Aww. and still, the entire internet was like, you promised too much. <laughs> well, the internet <laughs> loved him up until release, yeah. and then it turned. Harder than maybe I've ever seen it turn on anything. Yeah, it yeah. is insane the level of hate that that team got, and so mm-hmm. it's really sad now because all I want to do is just have a long form interview, like follow up with him, just talking about that process, knowing what it was like emotionally for the team to go yeah. through that. It's just a crazy journey for those right. people. Uh, but there's no upside as he communicates it. Like why right. we yeah. just we'll let the game communicate it. We're fine. Like we've been burned so hard. We're yeah. good. We're good forever. Maybe you should just post a picture of him on Twitter and be like, every retweet, I give him a hug, and and like the game can, the community can make up for what they've done. I, I don't think they're interested in that. Uh, Hello Games. Hire Holly as your brand manager. Please, I'll help them make. I'll help make them feel bad for you. Oh gosh, yeah, it's sad. Uh, well, we kind of veered right into it, but the, talking about creative leadership. Oh yeah, right, and uh, and in the AAA space. And that's something that we as indie devs, like, what can we learn from that? Because we talk about like our, like our team experiences and they, they're, they're a lot of times based on friendships and they're based on the sort of like flat hierarchies of like you vote on a, you vote, right? This stuff like that. You know, you sometimes have someone who takes charge, but like, um, knowing what it takes to manage a larger organization that has more greater commercial concerns. Like, uh, you've seen a lot of that. Yeah, for sure. And again, never made a game i'm not a creative director so it's scary to talk about it with people who actually make games uh, but just from the thirty thousand foot view and all that you know it's fascinating to see each different director and team have a different vibe and figuring out in general what works well because i love doing those interviews where it's just about what's it like being a creative director on this project like we did one for assassin's creed unity where it was just like a 30 minute interview i think just like what does it take to be the creative director on an assassin's creed game and maybe that one didn't turn out that well. Uh, <laughs> turned on this guy, in a bit. but I, I I love those types of discussions, even though it's not sexy new gameplay style headlines. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, but it's a it's a lot of communication. It seems like it's the very basic lesson for relationships and working relationships. Everything it was oh, the more you can communicate exactly what we're trying to do here, the better off we'll be. It's a lot of people reference like you know at the start of a project someone will make a big pitch video. Like the creative director will stand in front of the studio and say for two hours, all right, then this happens in the game. Then this happens in the game. And mm-hmm. it's going to feel a little bit like this one movie mixed with this one movie. You know, like the more people can just have something concrete to look back on and know which direction they're going. Uh, combined with, it seems like a big lesson is feel comfortable delegating. Trust other people in the studio. Yeah. Empower them and say, all right, it's all on you. This is your field. You can report back to me every once in a while, but please, art director, don't 
make me think about art too much. You right, know? And right. some creative directors have a tougher time with that, as for, from my perspective, than others, uh, where some say, I want to review everything. Every detail this game needs to go through me, and it creates this insane bottleneck, and then you end up with a 10-year development. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, getting that not, that, not just that delegation to do the work, but also to make the choices. Yes, yeah. exactly. Surprise me with your choices, mm-hmm. and I'll try and be flexible instead of, I need, I'm known as the auteur, I'm the one doing the <laughs> interviews, you know, like, <laughs> people think I alone made this game, and yeah. a lot of the internet does, you yeah. know, and so it's, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, Hideo Kojima is maybe a good example of that, right? <laughs> you know, we're like, I hear stories about him in the final days of development being like, the textures on these doorknobs are no good. Yeah, we need yeah. to go back and change all this stuff. It's like, oh, video, we got to let it go, man. It's a doorknob. Let's roll with it. You know. Uh, so, you know, Stephen talks a lot about um, like having a like a core idea that you go back to, right? Yeah. That, that and that and if you have a team to make sure everyone is on the same page of, it sounds remarkably similar to what you're describing. That, yeah. that sort of pitch there. So that's nice to know that that like that idea scales pretty well to indie. Yeah. Um, well, do you feel like it does? I mean, from the start of your projects, do you look back at those early pitches and say, I don't know what the hell we were thinking. That's nothing like what we ended up with. That's not helpful. Actually, well, some, I don't know. <laughs> Stop so interviewing us, Ben. Oh, sorry, you're right. <laughs> no, you're no, right. no, no, no. No, um, I'm just trying to think back because it's hard to remember how, what, how some of them started. Clawbreaker was exactly, basically, it was so clear what it was going to be yeah. right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some of the other, the other games I've worked on have been more like, oh, wow. Well, especially the first yeah. game jam we worked on. We worked on, it, it was um, at the Global Game Jam a couple years ago, and we were making a game that was going to be something like you, like our, an alien controlling um, Mulder and Scully from X Files, um, controlling them. Yeah, How? like mind control or something. Okay. Um, yeah, the idea was that you were an alien who came to Earth and you needed to uh, practice uh, 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 abduct or you know controlling people's bodies by getting them to brush their teeth. And so, <laughs> oh, good. Oh, I remember okay. this. Yeah, <laughs> and so because the um, uh, yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't even X Files. It just that happened because his one of our artist's drawings <laughs> ended up looking like oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's so, just like weird physics nonsense where they're just like well, accidentally brushing their eyeballs. It started yeah. out. It started out from an idea I had about control schemes, and that's what I got everybody rallied around. Or rather, I just sort of said, "Hey, this is what I want to do. You want to do it?" And they're like, "Well, nothing else better." So, um, <laughs> and I wanted to do this thing where you had to figure out the controls. Like left didn't mean left or whatever, and like this, so you had to sort of deduce the, like a device rather than a controller. Okay, and then um, and I think somebody came. Up, we thought, "Oh, we'll do a bunch of different daily routines," but then we all settled on wanting to do teeth brushing. And then the idea would be like, oh, well, the controls move your arms and like squeeze the toothpaste tube, but you don't know what button does what, and you have to figure it out, and that will be sort of fun. And then, yeah, it ended up being like, okay, then we're going to add this sort of like alien element to it. And then, and so it was sort of an idea that had a lot of parents, right? And we all just kind of went with it as we went forward. And then when we realized we were kind of working on different things, that's where this the little conflicts happened, yeah. right? And then it was like, I, the, I, the, toward the second day, I was like, this game has to be two-player. It has to be a competition, otherwise it will not be replayable. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's not possible, it's not going to work. And then I was like, okay, fine, that's fine. And then I realized, oh, I have a spare hour, I don't have a task right now. And then I just did it. And then like, I just kind of like steered the ship without asking anybody. That's nice. Like, <laughs> it was not the best. So like the, the thing that we imagined at the beginning there's nothing like what. Oh it yeah, ended up. it takes so much yeah, from it, and just because like we 
we didn't really know what we were doing. We kept hitting technical limitations. Like we, like a lot of us were new to Unity at the time as the tool we were using. And Martha was the only one who knew how to use Git. And <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning and at the end. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it kind of just it didn't it didn't have a vision. Uh, it was we had a lot of fun, but like looking back now at processes that have gone better. Yeah. <laughs> it, does, it does seem kind of like it seems like a disaster. And but. now imagine if that game's development was five years I know, and there right? are a hundred million dollars <laughs> being poured into it, right? Oh, Is that just the perfect analogy of just game jams? It does have every like chapter in that arc yeah. except just compacted yeah. down. And yeah, not high stakes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank right. God. <laughs> so I have a couple more questions before we let you go. Absolutely. Um off into the mists, never to see you again. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, Steven. See ya. <laughs> Uh, so I want to add just um, the position you hold in the gaming space yeah. is this sort of little interim place between developers and press. Because like you say, you, you know, you work on the video team, you host the Game Informer show, right. but you don't work on the magazine. And so you kind of see a little bit of everything. And you, yeah. I'd like to think that you're a, a, an, an observer, right? Yeah, I'm so, a watcher from Marvel. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. <laughs> so there's three questions. What is, would our audience find the most surprising about the, the gaming press just Ooh. in general? Oh my what is gosh. the thing that like would just be like, oh, of course. Like, why don't I know that? Hmm. Gaming press in general. I mean, this is the overall lesson in life in any business that I've seen, I guess. It, industry is just how loose stuff is. Mm-hmm. You know, where you see like, well, this is clearly, they put out a magazine every month. But just <laughs> seeing the internal workings of, you know, someone will just make a slightly better pitch for something in a meeting and that'll shift things this way. And then this will drop out because of this. It's just Everything's mushier than you realize, I think, is the lesson. Uh-huh. That's not a fun, concrete takeaway. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah, important. that's really interesting. I, th- I think it's important to know because a lot of people, because if, if, if you're on the outside looking in, it can, it can look very organized in there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, good organization, Game Informer. We got our stuff together. But mm-hmm. still, there, I mean, a good example of this is we just uh, released uh, an issue not too long ago where it's ranking the top 300 games of all time. Yeah. Like well, that's official. That's a, they're numbered. There's an official ranking, but like all it is is you have seventeen gamers in a room arguing yeah. and making cases, and sometimes it's all over the place, and sometimes it's like you know, editor right. in chief, for example, can say, "I love that game. This is going high up there." And it's like, all right, well, I can't, right. I can't crack that wall. So all right, <laughs> you have to live with yeah. it. But just you know, that's a good concrete example of it looks so official, but it is. It's just a lot of loose conversations that eventually. Get printed. Yeah. And it sounds like a, a, top, a top list like that. Like the spirit in which it was written is like the same as the spirit in which you read it, which is fun little things about a bunch of games. Right. 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 Well, no, I think the way you read it is you say, what the hell? Final Fantasy VII is number 57 on this list. This is an abomination. Yeah. It has to be that way. Okay. Question number two. Yeah. You meet with a lot of developers. Yeah. What, would, uh, what is the most surprising thing you've learned about game developers? That things are mushier than you think. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Oh, just raw talent. Uh, it's it's a, a certain humbling mm-hmm. uh, of going into these places and just seeing how much work is being put into these games. And it's very easy as press to sit back and be like, this game sucked. All right, moving on. Yeah. But just knowing that it's years of people's lives where they're probably crunching pretty hard throughout large stretches of that, just pouring everything into this game. And then maybe it's not appreciated as much. It's so it's an easy, simple, dumb thing again. But just realizing they're like, oh, every every game is interesting. Yeah. Basically, every developer is interesting. You could tell a story about every corner of the worst game, and you could make it compelling. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 
I think that's what I like. That's why I always love reading about games I'm not that interested in. <laughs> oh, yeah? the stories are still good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you have someone that can tell it well, but mm-hmm. sometimes the developers are like, ah, no one cares about this. I don't know. <laughs> so it's so fun to go into that studio, even for that two-day window, to try and get a sense of what's happening here. What are the internal politics in this office? Right. Why is this game turning out this way? Why is this person the creative director instead of this person? This person <laughs> clearly has all the good ideas. <laughs> this person's just a better spokesman. I think I know what's going on. Yeah, a lot of that type of thing. Okay, lastly, this is most important to our audience. Yeah. Is Game Informer serves a huge audience of gamers. And uh, you hear from a number of them. Yeah. Um, what, would surpri- what would surprise game developers most about gamers? Hmm. How much they want new experiences, I think. Yeah. Again, probably too simple, but people are ready for something new and different, mm-hmm. a new twist on a genre, something they can have a fun time explaining to their friends, you know? Ah. Um, that's that's probably They're, like right? how you are where you want to look cool by yes. finding the cool game. <laughs> yeah, everybody does, right? You yeah. always want to talk to your friends and be like, oh man, there's this game, Frostpunk, you got to check it out. It's like a survival sim. It's kind of like SimCity, but, you know, combined with some permadeath stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a fun thing to try and explain. So I think those those twists can probably pay off when you think. As long as it's a twist that's easily communicated, you can boil it down <laughs> to saying it's a twist of these things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, quite nice. Well, thank you so much for uh, finally getting down to talk with us and, yeah. for, and for making that offer in the first place, truly. Like, I know that you're like beating yourself up over how long it took, but like, uh-huh. it meant a lot to us and it's great that you're here. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad that you guys are here. Keep doing this good work. It's oh. so fun to see the gaming community build up in Minnesota. It's awesome to see and good luck getting more people engaged in it. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Where can people find you if they don't already know where to find you? Oh, uh, GameInformer.com. Mm-hmm. It's a website. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole magazine that comes out every month, too. Uh, sometimes I contribute an entry in the top 10 or something. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so that, that's always fun. You know, cover stories and stuff. Um, and then the Game Informer Show podcast, it's uh, available everywhere podcasts are. And then also on Game Informer's site and on YouTube. We have the video version of it and everything there. Or I'm on Twitter with a very weird name, which is Yozetti. So you can mm-hmm. find me on Twitter at Y-O-Z-E-T-T-Y. All right, we'll put all that in the notes. So again, Ben, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. All right, that is our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends to Ben. Will you leave a review and tell all your friends and maybe listeners too? Sure. <laughs> Get ready for my review. It'll be great. <laughs> Uh-oh. <All right. laughs> of course, we want to hear directly from you as well. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show, your nice host, our nice guest, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. And so until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Speaking of audio quality, Ooh. I just want to shift your microphone. Which way? Oh, so there's a little bit. Great. Is this go. better? Yep. Yes. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, I can hear myself now. That's helpful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it'll be it'll be fine. Okay. Okay. But great. I just want to make sure. Yeah. I'm glad okay. I slipped in that subtle reminder. Yeah. <laughs>